Hey, and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Here on Mainstream, the team behind sifter.com.au discuss their experiences playing a variety of games, from big AAA titles to smaller micro games and indies, retro releases, and newly reissued games. It's all pretty much covered here. This week on the show, it's me, Adam Christou, and I'm joined by Chantal McColl, freelance games writer whose bylines have popped up on Screen Hub, Byteside, Explosion Network, and Checkpoint Gaming. Hey there, Chantal. Hello, thanks for having me. And so this week on Mainstream, we are talking about a brand new game from Drinksbox Studios. It's called Nobody Saves the World. So let's jump right in. You're listening to Mainstream by Sifter. Visit us on sifter.com.au. Chantel, what is Nobody Saves the World? What have we been playing? Uh, Nobody Saves the World is a hybrid hack and slash um, with dungeon crawler, roguelike, and RPG elements. It's a very big mix of everything, I think, <laughs> thrown into one 20-hour game. Um, the plot... In terms of that, it's waking up in a grimy and abandoned shed. Our protagonist, nobody, has a typical case of amnesia. With no purpose or direction, nobody gets caught up in the disappearance of a powerful wizard, Nostromagus, and a calamity that is spreading an infectious disease across the world. Yeah, and it's a pretty gnarly infectious disease. It's like pulsating and tumorous and really gross. It starts taking over zones in this game. Um, and yeah, this this game has a really fascinating sort of leveling process about it as well, which I think is quite different from a lot of games that I've played. Um, it's sort of objective-based, right? Yeah, for sure. So it's objective-based, and the really interesting part about it is that you have 15 different forms that you can transform into that each have their own leveling system. It's graded from like F to S. And on top of that, you have an overall level system that allows you to explore the level locked world um and it's pretty complicated but i think the game has created it in such a tight-knit way um that it just subverts all typical leveling systems and makes the game quite unique Mm, it, it kind of scratched that itch for me that i have with with open world games at times that sort of like tick the box mentality um like there's so many tasks here each different form has little things to do like use this ability to kind of like on multiple enemies or grab an ability from this form and put it into this form and then use it multiple times and or or for classes that sort of open up new traversal options like going into the water you might just simply have a quest titled swim um, and it kind of encourages you to explore the world around you while you kind of level up these forms and unlock new abilities for them and new passive abilities as well. And um, I guess like in terms of how the game runs, it's top-down action RPG. I, I, I suppose at times it reminded me a little bit of The Binding of Isaac. I also got a little bit of Diablo in there as well. And I think I think what's interesting about these forms is that they take on the role of traditionally what would be like a class in an action RPG, except that you can be all the classes and you can swap them at any point. Yeah, it's um, that. that's what I have said when I've been reviewing this game is is that it really, t- it 
puts traditional class types on its head and not even in the visual design, which is, you know, you have um, slugs and mermaids and necromancers that you're playing, but also with just the abilities, like you're not just playing a normal class type that is that you would usually find, which is like, uh, well, I guess a rogue is in there, but a paladin <laughs> um, and an archer and uh, things like that. So I thought that that was very, very interesting to me. It's a, it is a very unique world. Mm, and it's, it's filled with interesting biomes and zones as well, including dungeons, which feel like they have a lot of sort of danger associated with them. They tend to be kind of locked at a certain level, might have like a bonus objective within the dungeon that you sort of need to work around. And then if you die in it, it kind of resets and you have to go back to the beginning as well, which can be a bit of a challenge if you're um, kind of playing a build that doesn't quite work for a particular dungeon that you've stumbled across. Yeah, that's that's what I got the uh, kind of roguelike elements from, was mostly from the dungeons, how they're set up. Because it, it's very, um, what's the word? Uh, challenging and non-forgiving. <laughs> Unforgiving. They kind of, if, if you die, you're right back at the start. And these are usually multi-leveled three or four um, leveled dungeons that you have to try and get through and know which form to use. Let's dive right into what kind of worked here, what clicked for us, and maybe what kind of didn't. And I think we might loop back to that objective-based leveling system that we sort of briefly touched on. Did this work for you? Did you enjoy it? How did, how did, how did you feel with this system? Yeah, I personally really, really enjoyed this leveling system because, as I said before, it was really unique for me. Um, It kind of subverts traditional leveling systems in the way that you just kind of have to hit enemies to gain experience. Instead, now you have certain objectives and it makes it makes you it forces you to buddy up um, to not buddy up, sorry, with your favorite form. You have to experiment and mix and match abilities with different play styles you're usually not comfortable with. It kind of really throws you out of your comfort zone um, with this sort of leveling system. And I think it also works really well um, with the world because then you you can you can't go to it. It kind of looks like an open world, but it isn't. <laughs> So you're really level locked in certain areas and you have to like come back with different forms and and do different quests. So I thought it was really great game design. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned how there is this illusion of like an open world, like top down Zelda environment that you're in, but like Zelda games. Um, which kind of gate you based on like items that you find which allow you to like break you know, like walls or cut down bushes. Instead, in this game, it's it's forms that you've unlocked, which sort of gate you in a lot of different ways. And sometimes the abilities that those forms will learn as they level up as well, which kind of goes right back into that kind of level-based system. This game starts you off with your initial form, which is a rat, um, which I actually really liked. It's sort of poison-based and has a whole bunch of really cool kind of fast-paced abilities and can squeeze into really small locations, which makes it really cool for finding secret areas and tunnels. But as you're exploring, you'll eventually discover pretty quickly um, that there are areas cut off to you by water and you're not going to be able to get a form that can traverse water until 
you level up your rat to a certain point that it unlocks other forms and then you level up those forms to a certain point that it unlocks forms like the turtle or the very terrifying looking mermaid um, which will allow you to to kind of cross water so it's almost like the game is sort of saying if you can't go past this certain point, you need to go into your forms menu, see what you haven't unlocked yet, and start working on those things somewhere else in the world. Yeah, it does. Um, I always think back to, because Drinkbox Games also made Guacamelee, which is primarily a Metroidvania game. And I think they took a lot of inspiration from that and put this put that into this, like, RPG open world narrative um, where you really can't go certain places unless you've locked, unlocked certain forms and unlocked um, uh, certain levels, I guess, which really is a Metroidvania type uh, uh, component. And so I think, yeah, that, and for me as a Metroidvania player, <laughs> Uh, that was that was something that I was like, oh, I picked it up very easily that this is how you're supposed to, I guess, play that game and play this like leveling system. I, I, I sort of picked up on that too. And I guess where I kind of felt friction with, with some of this sort of objective-based leveling and unlocking of the forms was when I felt like there were moments where I felt like I was deadlocked with, with leveling up a certain form. So... Um, as you progress through the game, you get more quests for your various forms. Completing those quests will give you experience for those forms that rank them up, which then unlock new forms. Um, but sometimes some of those quests felt like they weren't super easy to complete without finding the right area in the world that you would actually need to complete them in. So there's a mechanic in this game called warding. Um, so there's like three different element types, blunt, sharp. Well, actually, there's a few dark, light, and different forms can attack enemies with those elements. And there are some form quests that require you to break wards on enemies. So say there might be an enemy that has a dark ward on it. And until you attack it with dark energy, um, you can't do any damage to it. And so you might have to level up a form um, that doesn't have any dark abilities, then attach a dark ability from another form onto it. And then find enemies that are warded against dark damage and break their wards to complete that quest with that form, which means then finding a dungeon that's full of enemies that are dark warded. And I'd be at a point where I'd be on one side of the map going, there are no dungeons or dark warded enemies here for me to level up this stupid and like slug. I really want to level it up because I want it to be B and that's what my brain wants to do right now. I feel like leveling this form up. And so I'd have to kind of sigh and go through the form area, find a different form and find it something else to do in that area and just keep in the back of my mind that this annoying quest that I'm stuck on for this particular form that I'd rather be doing, I can't do right now. And that, that drove me a little bit crazy at times because um, there are some really fun forms in this game. And I felt like some of the dungeons that I was coming across or areas that I was in weren't letting me really enjoy those forms because I'd have to focus on unlocking a different form or doing some some quests that I didn't really want to do on a different form. Yeah, the, the leveling system uh, to a degree was very chaotic, which is where I feel um, Nobody Saves the World kind of dropped the ball a little bit is that you know, they have all these level-locked areas, but 
you to like level up your forms, you then have to go to like a level fifty area um, to to continue playing. And so <laughs> it was just like it was very uh, confusing. They, I think they were trying to um, make an open world, but not quite. And and so they put like quests in areas that don't really fit the area um, and forms that you need to be like. They have an objective for a form that's too early that matches um, the level that you're at. So I think managing that at times was quite difficult. The The game has a way of, Nobody Saves the World has a way of never explicitly explaining that the way, the way that it wants to be played. It will just, um, uh, you, will you will constantly start failing quests because you don't have the right form, which means that you have to come back later, right? So it never explicitly explains this. It doesn't have like a little hint box at the top that's like, oh, maybe you should go do some other quests before you come back here. Um, so I think that some people might find that frustrating, but I think it was because um, the developers have set up a really interesting leveling system, right, in the terms of that when you unlock more forms, you, you can then... Uh, have different passives you can have different abilities and you can mix and match them with each other and so it's encouraging you to experiment in a way without holding your hand but it doesn't actually tell you this so it has to like continuously beat it into your brain that you don't have the right form right now come back later um by just by you just failing quest consistently it, it's almost like a, a learning curve uh, and it's quite it can be quite a frustrating one if you don't know that you have to experiment with the different forms instead of just like le- leveling up this this one form and pretty much smashing out the dungeon it, it says no you actually can't which is because of the ward abilities the ward function usually um, so yeah. Yeah, it's almost like I, I like to think of it in a in a way as like here's a term I'm just coming up with right now, but limited creativity, <laughs> in the sense that um, I feel like dungeons are actually quite successful most of the time in this game in terms of having multiple ways to tackle them. Like they might have like uh, a kind of bonus objective to it, such for example as like buffs and debuffs last for three times longer than usual, um, which allows you to create like a really interesting build that might let you stack short-term buffs for a long time and just coast through. Or you might come up with a completely different build to kind of get through that dungeon instead. Um, yet there are kind of short form quests as well that are very tightly honed in, like that have like one answer and the game is sort of going to, to solve this quest, you have to work out the exact configuration of forms, abilities, passives, then level those up, um, so that they're strong enough for you to complete that particular one quest. And I found those things really annoying because they kind of felt like, um, you know, when you get stuck in a really great action game or RPG game. And then there's this puzzle and you're like, I don't want to deal with this puzzle right now. I'm going to <laughs> Google the answer to the puzzle because I do not want to play the pyramid game in a Bioware game ever again, or like work out like the configuration of some bizarre bunch of like, kind of like slates on the ground that you have to step on in a certain order, whatever it is. 
I found that those quests kind of had a friction to them that was really like a hard stop. Whereas going into a dungeon and experimenting with lots of different builds and ideas organically felt really freeing and fun. And the game pivoted towards frustration and freedom so often in those quest designs that I was really kind of on and off with the game at times. I'd have a really cool experience in a dungeon where I'd come up with a creative build and be like, whoa, I did this. And then I'd come across a quest like the rogue quests, um, sorry, no, the ranger quests in this game, which is sort of like shooting ranges um, that really irritated me and not a fan and felt super, um, I suppose, like designed around you mastering this one form skills um, and then maybe adding in one or two additional abilities to kind of break the quest. And I just didn't find that that sort of stuff fun. It felt like trial and error in a way that wasn't satisfying at all. Yeah, I feel like the game is at its best when it's letting you experiment with different forms and has different answers to to a puzzle or a dungeon. But when the game tries to lock you in and gives you only one answer and you stop experimenting, that's when the frustration starts to kind of arise because there's only one way. You have 15 forms. You have to try and figure out the exact one answer to complete this quest and there's so many different options and you also usually need a very like tight mechanical um, uh, sort of reaction time to a lot of these because sometimes they're uh, time limited as well and that just I feel like that is when the game kind of dips and isn't at its best is yeah when it's locking you in. And in a way, it reminds me of sort of the pattern recognition and process that you go through in a Souls-like game where you're just doing rote memorization of what's happening so that eventually after 10 or 15 attempts, you nail the boss or whatever successfully. Except unlike the Souls games, the reward for beating those bosses is progression. It's exploring a new environment. It's like really interesting things that you might get out of it, a cool item, etc. In this game, it's you completed another quest, just like all the other quests that you might have already completed for a little sliver of experience and a wand point. And it feels really hollow and empty to kind of complete some of these super hard quests because the rewards are as identical as some of the objective-based rewards that you get for just progressing your forms. And so it feels so frustrating to like spend 30 minutes trying to do this ranger quest, finally nailing it and going, ah, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> It's the same as if I spent five minutes working on the latest form I just unlocked and doing some casual stuff with it or chilling out and having fun. And I should have done that instead, instead of this ranger quest. That's what I uh, ended up doing is if there, if there was a quest that, was just way too difficult and was going to take a lot of my time with, you know, I only get like one wand or two wands, which is the currency you use to unlock dungeons. Um, I just, because there is quite a lot of content in the game, I was just like, okay, let's go on to the next quest. Like I probably won't do this. I didn't finish all the dungeons cause I didn't need to. Um, and so I just left a lot of the quests that I was like, oh, it's, it's a bit janky here. It's going to take me way too much time. I'm going to do the more casual ones. And that, for me, was a lot more satisfying than pushing, pushing, pushing for 30 minutes to try and finish this one quest. <laughs> Let's talk about the forms a little bit because I think yeah. this will be a really positive side. But 
I loved all of these things. They were really cool, fun, super inventive. Um, there was a real joy and excitement in like seeing a new form unlock or seeing like the name of a new form appear as you kind of like went up the list of them and be like, I wonder what that form is going to be like. What powers are, is it going to have? What's its additional ability going to be? It felt like always there was something exciting around the corner with all of these forms. Yeah, and and what I like as well is that they always have like a real like a really nice animation comes up on the screen. Like it is actually very rewarding just to know when you've unlocked a certain form, especially in the later levels. Like you get a dragon, you get a necromancer. Um, my personal favorite, which is a bit of a weird one, was a bodybuilder. I didn't think that I would like the bodybuilder that as much as I did. <laughs> um because he like he was just hilarious and like for like goes to the tropes uh the trope of what a bodybuilder would be so yeah, he's like a swole <laughs> thick boy yeah. he's like super juicy looking like he's just oiled yeah. himself up for competition um <laughs> and his skills are really cool too like he's built around this sort of like mechanic called impact which is like a certain damage type which causes knockbacks but with the bodybuilder, there's a passive where the knockbacks do massive amounts of damage and he flings massive barbells, which push everything back. So you kind of get into this really exciting sort of play style of like how many different abilities can I stack together that all push things back into each other and cause like cascade eruptions of everything exploding. It's it's super fun. Yeah, I I guess like for me, one of, one of the best things about the forms is that they they not only followed like this incredibly funny um visual style but all the all their abilities are so interesting but so perfect for the uh sort of uh, form that you have that it just makes the experience of using them um really satisfying and really funny like the game isn't taking itself too seriously in in like for example the magician you can um uh, call upon uh, familiars and every now and again you'll get this really massive uh, white tiger but most of the time you only get bunnies that are getting pulled out of the hat and that is just really funny to me um, because I'll, I will have 50 bunnies and two tigers running around like killing all the all the baddies and <laughs> it just makes it such a fun experience yeah there's like a real sense of fun and playfulness here like the horse, which we've talked about a few times, its main attack is like it does a bucking kick with its hind legs, which means you actually have to like kind of snuggle your horse butt up against enemies and then kick them with your back legs. So you've got to be facing reverse for every main attack that you're doing with the horse to regenerate your mana, which can be a really interesting challenge. Um, but I love the creativity of that. I think it was just like very funny. Of course, like a horse is just going to kick things to death why not <laughs> so created yeah. a, a style of play around that which i thought was really fun and i think kind of goes into i guess the heart and soul of this game which is i guess the comedic backbone of of nobody saves the world which is that this is a, a very sort of camp quirky game it's got a sense of humor that's very dark and odd um some of it clicked for me some of it didn't but how did you feel about the the kind of humor and the the style that this game sort of immerses itself in 
Yeah, for me, the comedic backbone and just the overall tone of the game was probably one of my favorite things about it, mostly because it doesn't take its itself too seriously, even though it can be quite a difficult game, and it follows its style so religiously um, that that you're just overwhelmed by it. Like, you get uh, so sub- uh, submerged into the game, and I feel like half of that is because... The, the protagonist, Nobody, is really uh, a character that has no personality at all. Sometimes they have one-liners, but they don't really say or do anything. They're kind of just standing there as a nondescript spectator for the world and its wacky inhabitants who all have really huge personalities. Um, and Drinkbox Studios, if I don't know if the audience has played their games before, but they really follow a character caricature style so they really play into tropes and bringing the the most out of their characters um and I think they did a fantastic job of it because it's so eccentric it's absurd and it's really funny um and a lot of the characters are stagnant like they don't have uh they don't have any character arcs really except for Randy the Rad who (laughs) you love to hate him (laughs) um but yeah so I feel like the the using the nobody sort of character type and just letting the world speak for itself made it really fun and just really submersive for me yeah I'm glad you brought up Randy the Rad I mean (laughs) So Randy the Rat is a magician's assistant who you meet at the very beginning of the game uh, while trawling his boss's home and you find the magic wand that is meant for him and he gets really frustrated that you've taken over the adventure that he was meant to essentially star him and he's uh, a very classic passive-aggressive sort of like put-down-upon assistant. I think this game is having a lot of comments about like free labour and about like <laughs> being an unpaid intern through Randy which is very funny and fascinating. But what I found really interesting about the humor in this game is it sort of evolved quite a bit from where Guacamelee was and where Drinkbox was in the past, where, you know, a big part of their humor back in the day, we're talking 2013, 2012, was memes, Um, like meme posters within Guacamelee itself, references to internet jokes, references to lots of really like, you know, lolcats almost were popping up in there. And I feel like the humor in uh, Nobody Saves the World is less... Uh, like referential in like an outside sense. It's less metatextual. It's more kind of built in the absurdistness of this world that you're inhabiting as opposed to sort of being like, well, we have to draw on memes and things that are going to date and age very quickly from the outside world. It's like going back to Guacamelee now, I sort of cringe when I see sort of all the lol catsy kind of meme kind of humor that's kind of hiding in there. Whereas I feel like some of the quirks in this game are legitimately funny. Like there are aliens that have had a crash spaceship in this place and they are all pretending to be humans in bad disguises. And one of the quests is to find them all and unite them. And they are very funny when you talk to them and they try to pretend to be people. Um, and I think that that's just funny writing, you know. Um, not all of these jokes hit. There is one really great, great subquest involving romancing a horse, a, a whimsical stallion that kind of just makes your heart stir and flutter. And that I thought was very funny and kind of odd and bizarre. And another sign that I feel like their kind of humor chops have really evolved from, 
yeah, I guess sort of more of a cringy sort of referential place into something that just feels quirky, but feels like it fits in and breathes really well with the world that they've created here. And I really appreciate that in a lot of ways. Yeah, because it fits in with the world so well, this game I think is going to age a lot better than Guacamelee did just because it's based in the absurdity and eccentricness of the world itself and not on the ex- the outside world that we're currently living in. Um, so I that was just a really good plus for me. <laughs> I feel like I've been overly negative about this game, but I really <laughs> want to highlight that 20 hours of my time was spent on this game in what felt like a fever pitched like three, four days where it was the only thing I thought about, the only thing I wanted to play, and I was completely immersed in it and addicted. Um, It scratched an itch with me so strong. And I think that for all its kind of quibbles that I've brought up here, it's a really solid, fun, inventive action RPG that is doing things with abilities and creative freedom in this sort of space that so many games haven't done before. And I really kind of want to applaud it for that. I'm super excited to see where games go based on the inspiration of this game and also what might happen if Drinkbox do some patches or content updates and maybe tweak some of those complaints that I've had, but also, you know, bring in new forms or bring in new dungeon challenges. I think there's so much room to have more fun with this game in the future. Um, despite the fact that I refuse to go into one of those dungeons that looks really frustrating, like the instant kill dungeon, which like, no. (laughs) I will also say that the co-op function on Nobody Saves the World is incredibly fun and makes clearing the dungeons a lot easier because you can have two different forms working at the same time. So then you personally don't have to be quickly changing you have two people that can you know take take the the dark wards and take the light wards and you can you know interact in that way and build up a sort of teamwork that I think is really really fun I I even thought some of these dungeons and some of the quests that are in the game are made for co-op specifically not that they tell you that but I think like a lot of them are made easier and a, a lot more fun when you have another person there to do it with That's a really good point. I played this completely solo and I think now looking back on it, there are so many opportunities for lots of like couch and local co-op fun with this game. It doesn't have local co-op at the moment. It's just online only. And I really hope that like some version of couch co-op comes into this game at some point because it'd be a really fun one to kind of put on. And then, yeah, go through that one hit kill dungeon with a friend who can respawn next to you if you make a mistake. That alone would make that dungeon 50 times more chill and fun to play through, I think. So that's been Nobody Saves the World. It's by Drinkbox Games. It's out now on Xbox One, Series X and S, Windows and Steam. It's also a Games Pass day one game. Uh, It's a very fun action RPG. It has a few flaws, but boy, it's really worth diving into. This is Mainstream. This has been Mainstream by Sifter. It's what games we've been playing. Uh, Brand new games, indie games. My name's been Adam. Thank you for uh, listening in. And thank you for coming on to the show today, Chantel. Oh, thank you so much. I had so much fun. Oh, awesome. Thank you to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Barthamelis, Daniel Ang, Adam Christie, that's me. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. Chantel, where can listeners 
find you on the internet, check out some of the work that you've been doing and likewise. Awesome. Well, you can, all of my work, I just post it on Twitter. So it's at CL underscore McColl, which is M-C-C-O-L-L. And because I'm with a lot of different publications at the moment, you can just find all my work there. (laughs) Brilliant. And you can uh, hear me here on Sifter. And also I occasionally pop up on Melbourne radio station, Triple R, reviewing video games. I'm on break at the moment for summer, so I'll be back in 2022 sometime in February to talk about something. Haven't figured out what my first game is going to be, but it's probably going to be Pokemon. Who knows? Um, that's it for this week. You can check out what Sifter is up to on our socials. That's Sifter HQ on Twitter or Instagram, or hop onto the Sifter Discord, have a yarn with the team about what you're playing at the moment, share your cool screenshots. That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. You can also check out our other podcast. It's called Lightmap. That's where we talk to game developers, creatives, and people who are doing kind of cool, interesting things in interactive media. It's on your favorite podcast app of choice, whichever one that is. And if you want to have a read of something, you can head to sifter.com.au. We've got articles, pieces, videos, and more up there, regularly updated with new content. That's it from us. That's it from me and Chantel. We'll see you in the next mainstream. Peace.